Good morning. Thanks for joining me on the Mega Ellison Show on this Fab Friday. If you've missed any of the conversations during the course of the four and a half hours of programming gold, you can go out to WSAU.com and all of the conversations are podcasted there. Joining me this morning via phone, probably from his district or maybe he's, oh, I, God forbid he's down in Madison today. State Senator Pat Teston, how are you? I'm doing great, Meg. In fact, I couldn't be happier because after a long week in Madison, I'm finally back home, back into the land of reality. Yeah, well, it's it's if you come even a little bit farther north of Highway 10, it's even more real up here. <laughs> just, Absolutely. Just kidding. I know. I I appreciate it. I mean, it's it's a great thing to have a Republican representing your district. And, you know, I guess since I brought it up, we might as well talk about that, the uh, Governor Evers' map was the one that was recently, or maps was recently signed into to uh, law just recently. Let's talk about how it affects your district and what your district is going to look like now that, well, things are going to change. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, m- Monday the governor signed his own maps after basically seven days of him being pressured and lobbied heavily by the forces on the extreme far left who really wanted him to veto his own maps, which just would have been the ultimate sign of hypocrisy. But uh, the governor finally signed his maps. And, you know, it was a tough decision for us in the legislature to adopt these because uh, really it was a a deck of cards stacked against us with the liberal Supreme Court. And when you took a look at the four maps that that remained based on the the consultants or the so-called experts, which I scratched my head as to why they'd be called that. But really what they wanted to do was essentially put our Republican majorities into extinction. And under the governor's maps, these are the set of maps that give us the best chance to maintain the majorities. And so it's unfortunate because we're likely going to lose a lot of really good people in both houses of the legislature because of the 30-some incumbents who got paired and drawn into into the same districts. But for my district, um, there's significant changes. Um, I have represented all of Portage County for the last seven years under the governor's maps. It gets split three ways. So in the township where I live in the town of Hall, uh, that's still my district, so I'm barely in my seat. If I were to go a quarter mile north, I would be in Senator Tomchek's uh, seat. Or district. I and wonder so, if they just can't read a map because they have been redistricting <laughs> uh, Republicans out uh, quite a bit. So they maybe just missed right. it on you. I, I think they tried their damnedest and uh, came up just short, which I'm fine with. But So my district will retain uh, Town of Hall, Stevens Point, Clover, Wisconsin Rapids, the Amherst area. I lose a, a good portion of Southern uh, Portage County. Uh, right now, currently, I I represent a, a good portion of Wood County. That's soon to change, where now basically I'll represent Wisconsin Rapids and everything south. I lose most of, I lose all of O'Shea County, which is unfortunate. Great community, made many great relationships down there. I pick up more of Adams County, pick up northern Juneau County, so Mawson all the way north. In fact, I even have Elroy, so proud to say I think I'm going to be representative, representing former Governor Tommy Thompson. I lose uh, the city of Sparta, Monroe County, but retain Toma. And then I pick up all of Jackson County. And so this is where I really, I scratch my head sometimes because for years I've heard folks on the left who have said, my district was the ultimate gerrymander in 2011 because 
It took the district all the way west into Monroe County. Well, now under the governor's maps, I move even further west. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm going to do, someone asked me recently, how does this impact your approach going into the 2024 election? And I said, it doesn't change my approach whatsoever. All this means is I've got new areas that I have to go into and, and make the case and build those relationships. And when we wrap up session in mid-March, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to start going door to door like I've always done, wear up the shoe leather, and make the case as to why we need to maintain Republican control of the legislature so we don't become Minnesota. Because if you take a look at what the Democrats have done in Minnesota, since they've had a trifecta after the 2022 elections, they took a $15 billion surplus and spent it in six months, and I will be, I will be damned if we allow that to happen here in Wisconsin and give the governor complete carte blanche control of the state. Oh, it's, it's just, um, well, I mean, I guess just another card we've been dealt. I know um, a lot of, well, a, a lot of planning and strategizing and conversations went on uh, prior to this and in anticipation of what of how the state Supreme Court might have uh, ruled on this. And, you know, who knows? I guess uh, I think uh, Speaker Voss has said we've we've played clips of him saying that we still we still are competitive and in our policies, our platform is more popular with the majority of of Wisconsin citizens, and so subsequently, um, I think he's optimistic that our message will still resonate with the majority of voters, and they will continue to vote Republican. Well, I think so too. And the recent Marquette University to Law School poll that just came out this week uh, lays that out pretty clear that when it comes to the economy, um, you know. The majority of voters here in the state trust Republicans. They trust um, individuals such as former President Donald Trump to get us out of the mess that we're in. And so I, I think at the end of the day, this is really going to boil down to, you know, what's best for our families, what's best for our, our home budgets, our communities, making sure that we have safe cities to operate in. And thankfully, and I, and I do agree with the optimism that Speaker Voss has shared, that we have better candidates, we have a better message. We work harder. When you take a look at the candidates that have been put up and recruited by Democrats in both houses over the last decade and a half, uh, really, there are more, more candidates that would be better fit in downtown Madison or the inner city of Milwaukee. They don't really connect with voters. And when you take a look, going back to 2016, you know, I currently represent two counties that saw the largest swing in support of voting for uh, former President Obama, and then switching to Donald Trump. You know, these were areas of the state and in places like Jackson and Adams County, where historically they were the last bastions of blue dog Democrats who, you know, had always voted Democrat because, you know, that's what their parents and their grandparents did, going back to FDR and JFK. But along the way, people have awoken to the fact that uh, this Democrat Party of today is not the party of JFK or Kennedy. It's a radical subset of that. And people realize that Republicans have really won the message on appealing to the middle class, the working class, which is why you've seen us pass numerous bills in recent years and continue to push for things like providing tax relief for the middle class. And, you know, that's another area where this week we sent four tax cut bills of the governor again, trying to make the case that we need to be competitive. If we want to win the war for talent, 
and attract new businesses, new people, new opportunities to Wisconsin. Well, and I think, Pat, what is concerning is that they just have a different mentality, even about business development, economic development in in this state and in this country. And they don't they don't see it as for whatever reason. I don't understand, but I guess it has more to do with creating a, a larger and larger dependent class to be sustained and held up by those of us that will, you know, are continuing to work. And, and I think for whatever reason, and, and I mean, I don't know if it's politics or not. I mean, I guess you've been in the legislature for a while. You'd be able to share more insight into whether or not the Democrats that you know, that you've gotten to know in the legislature, if it's, if it's just, um, virtue signaling or if they really deep down believe what it is that they are trying to uh, push on Wisconsin citizens? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. And really what it comes down to is that this is where we have the major divergence of a political philosophy between the two parties where, you know, we have consistently advocated for free market solutions, trying to find ways that empower the private sector, whereas our our counterparts, they believe government has all the answers, has all the cures to everyone's woes. They want to expand more government programs. I mean, a prime example is you take a look at how they want to uh, address the child care issue. So the governor and the Democrats on the legislature, their, their solution is, well, let's throw more money at the problem. Even though I think everyone will admit, and I've even had some colleagues on the Democrat side who have said, no, we, we agree. There's a lot of challenges in the child care industry, but you know what? It's just too, it's too big. It's too complicated, but we'll continue to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in federal funds creating these giant fiscal cliffs that don't actually address the problem, which is why our solutions have been, okay, we understand there's a problem here. There's a bottleneck in trying to get child care, especially in underserved areas. And we acknowledge that, yeah, it absolutely is a barrier of entry in the workforce when families have to make the hard decision of, well, is mom or dad going to have to stay home because they can't find a babysitter or a daycare center? And so one of the things that we did in the package of tax cuts that just passed out of the assembly last week and we just passed out of the state Senate today is to increase the child care and dependent tax credit to 100 percent of the federal child care and uh, dependent tax credit providing real relief and not necessarily just providing subsidies through government programs, and then also introducing and passing standalone bills that tackle this issue. And I think that's one of the things that frustrates me the most is that the Democrat solution is, well, government can fix it. It's government's responsibility to take care of every aspect of our lives. And if we're trying to say no, there is some responsibility that needs to be incurred. And I think, you know, when we heard the legislation before the Joint Finance Committee on the child care tax credit legislation, Senator Romaine Quinn of the 25th Senate District knocked it out of the park because he was getting hammered by the Democrats on the Finance Committee. And he, he threw it right back at him. And I remember having a conversation with him afterwards. I said, you just kicked their butts on this argument. And it was probably the, one of the best counter defenses I've seen on this um, since this whole issue's popped up. And so, you know, this is one of the four tax cut bills that are now before the governor. Uh, we hope he signs all four of them because there are a couple other ones too that would allow that retirement income for individuals who are making 
who filed jointly up to 150000 isn't taxable here in this state. And this was another argument that the Democrats kept saying, well, you're, you're, you're not helping those below that income threshold. And what they fail to grasp and what they won't mention publicly is that, you know, here in the state of Wisconsin, for those on fixed incomes who rely on things like Social Security, we don't tax that already. So we're, again, trying to provide real relief for individuals so they don't have to make the hard decision. I've lived in Wisconsin my whole life, but now I want to go to a state that doesn't tax my retirement income, like places like Florida or Texas. And so uh, we're doing what we can to retain who we have here. And then on top of that, you know, making sure that those who are still in the workforce, construction workers, people working 40 hours a week, if not more, that again, they're getting significant tax relief, trying to help these families who file jointly up to $150,000 per year can see significant savings, especially in a time when uh, Bidenomics has been crushing household budgets, not just across the state, but across the country. So, Pat Teston, do you think that Governor Vito will have his uh, veto pen filled to the brim with ink so that he, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm curious to know wh- what, um, what income does he believe is wealthy? Because, I mean, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the last go around, I think he said that someone making around $30,000 a year was n- not, shouldn't be, shouldn't qualify for a tax break because I guess according to the Democrats and Governor Evers, they make too much money. Well, yeah, if you go back to the tax cuts that we had incorporated in the uh, legislative Republican budget that we sent him, he vetoed 95% of the tax cuts that we sent him that would have provided tax relief for every single tax filer in the state of Wisconsin. But when it reached the governor's desk, he vetoed 95% of those. And um, basically, yeah, to your point, people making $30,000 were considered to be the one percenters. And it's just, this is where the hypocrisy becomes so thick with Governor Evers and legislative, legislative Democrats is that you know, they go out there and talk about the middle class and helping people, but yet when they get the opportunity to actually do it, they either vote no on the floor or if it hits the governor's desk, he vetoes it. But I'm a little bit more hopeful this time around because with the tax cut proposals that are going to be sent to him and we're awaiting either his veto pen or his blessed signature to get these things signed into law, is that consistently over the course of Governor Evers' tenure, he has cited 150000 as sort of that benchmark uh, for the, the middle class, for household families. And so based on the governor's own statements, based on comments he has made public, public, publicly time and time again, we think this is sort of the, the sweet zone, if you will, for him to uh, give us his almighty blessing that we can actually provide middle income class tax cuts to uh, families that need it most right now because, again, with the inflationary costs families are dealing with, uh, they're being crushed. Because turns out when you spend trillions of dollars that we don't have, um, it impacts people. When you throw more money into the market, that more than it can bear, it, it hurts people. And that is the message that we need to continue to drive home between now and November. Democrat policies are absolutely crushing regular families all across the state and country. So, Pat, let's talk a little bit about the bills that were passed through the Senate, your bills, the, I mean, let's begin with, unless you want to go with the other one, the startup investment bill. Yeah. So this is, um, 
the, the Badger Fund of Funds, this was actually a program that was established in uh, 2013, and it has been very successful, and it helps with uh, startup companies. Other states have made significant investments in this front, and Wisconsin has historically lagged, and the Badger Fund of Funds has generated new businesses all across the state, very innovative businesses. In fact, there's a couple here in central Wisconsin um, that have done really amazing work in in the egg field where using new technologies to help, uh, you know, things like tree farms and irrigation and all that. And so this was a program that was set to lapse. And um, in conversations with folks who run the fund of funds, uh, we put in another $25 million into this program to help with startups where there's uh, matching donations from the private sector. But one of the key components on this is that we are going to allow this fund to evergreen. So proceeds and revenues that come in from the generation of new companies will then go back in the fund. So those, those can be reinvested to uh, start up new companies. So again, trying to be creative using private sector funds to help innovate through a public-private partnership, but then also making sure that there's components that the majority of these jobs are actually based and created here in the state and not going elsewhere. And then also ensuring that we have transparency and reporting requirements coming back to the legislature so we can monitor this, the success of this. So that way, in future budgets, we can make adjustments. If, you know, if it's not working, sometimes you got to pull the plug. Or if it continues to work well, uh, that just makes a strong case that, you know, this, can, this should continue to be a, a worthwhile investment. So uh, we can generate new opportunities for innovative ideas and, and new products and and new companies here. Ooh, creativity must be so threatening to the Democrats. I mean, God forbid we should come up with some out-of-the-box solutions that don't involve the government swooping in and spending more taxpayer money. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, this goes back even when Governor Walker first got elected. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy at the time when, you know, the decision was made to get rid of the, the old... Uh, commerce department that was filled with what, what I like to call the Madison cubicle monsters in the bureaucracy and created the WEDC, uh, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. And sure, it had its, it, it had a few bumps in the road when it was first created, but I think by and large, um, it has been a very successful example that when you involve the private sector and have these public-private partnerships that uh, it bears fruit over time. And we're at that point where um, the track record, especially within the Badger Fund of Funds, has been very successful, which is why I was really happy that uh, we had broad support from both sides of the aisle. And uh, uh, hoping that the governor signs this, I think he has sort of signaled that he will. And this will be one of the few times you're going to hear, hear me give credit where credit's due, that if he does sign it, give him kudos. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I, like you said, his veto pen is probably going to be working fast and furious as he gets sent um, hundreds of bills that have passed out of both houses. And, and uh, we've got more on the way when we take up um, our last floor day come mid-March. So let, the other bill that was passed, your another bill, the job creation bill. Let's uh, talk about what, um, I mean, especially here in Wisconsin, and, and I mean, after the shamdemic, I mean, there were so many uh, business owners that found it difficult, if not impossible, 
to find workers. And I kept asking the question over and over again, where did all the workers go? I mean, it seemed like they just disappeared. And I think government had more to do with that than we, well, I think we realize that, but government had everything to do with that. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, the throughout the pandemic, I mean, that was probably one of the most stressful and frustrating times for me since I've been in the legislature when businesses were shut down with the stroke of the governor's pen. And, and you know, we were hearing terms and uses of essential versus non-essential workers. And it, that whole concept, even to this day, still makes my blood boil because all work is essential. But one of the bills that I'm really glad that we got through out of both houses um, is to uh, hopefully uh, create nearly 100 new jobs here in the point area to entice a, a new uh, potato processing company to come in and uh, set up shops. So uh, there's a company called Agristo. They're actually a Belgium-based company, but they have been working with a number of our potato growers here in the Central Sands to uh, introduce a a new potato variety that has never been grown in North America before. And so over this last uh, year, the last growing season, they did a number of test plots and turns out uh, they did very well. And so uh, this company called Agristo, they've been in contact with folks at the city of Stevens Point and folks here at the Portage County Business Council to see what could be done to provide some incentives. And one incentive that local communities have, local cities have, is to use tax tax increment districts, which provide some incentives for them to come in to help uh, lessen the the cost to do business here in our our communities. But with with PID districts, they run into a, a cap, a certain percentage. And so this bill lifts the cap up to um, 15% of the district's equalized value. And this is similar that's similar to what's been done with other projects. So in my first session uh, over in the village of Oostburg, over in Sheboygan County, Sargento Chief uh, used one of these um, piece of legislation similar to expand their operations, which again, brought in uh, hundreds of new jobs. And so we have this opportunity here. And so it's really a win-win. So new man- new manufacturing jobs is going to increase the acreage for a, a new potato variety here in the state, which ultimately benefits our farmers and generates economic activity that serves our, our state and our region well. So I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, they sometimes can have a, uh, a bit of a long road to get support uh, from from folks in, in the legislature, but we made a really strong case and, and, and thankful to individuals like Senator Dewey Strobel, who chaired the committee that this bill was in, who has been sometimes a little bit more hesitant or skeptical of some of these projects. But uh, when we sat down with him back in December and, and ran him through all the details and the facts, and and uh, he, he was very supportive and helped champion this and get it through both committee as well as uh, our house. Senator Pat Teston, thank you for joining me this morning. You know, and for our listeners that are in your district, you can sign up for his e-update, which comes out weekly. And, you know, just learn about some of what the activities that he participates in beyond Madison. There are a number of district activities or di- district events that you are participating in to, uh, you know, obviously make your constituents aware of the importance of Senator Pat Heston. So thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Give my best to Hannah. Have a great weekend. You as well, Meg. Thanks for having me.
Thanks. We'll take talk soon. Going to the 1030 News, followed by right on the dot here, followed by your calls on the other side, 715-845-2155 on the Meg Ellison Show on WSAU.